0: If you have your copy of God's Word, if you turn to the book of John, John chapter 3. And we're going to be looking at one verse of Scripture. You probably don't even need your Bible today, but John chapter 3 and verse 16. Probably the most famous Bible verse in all the world. John three sixteen, And here the Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Father, help us now as we try to preach. May you receive the glory from it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we're counting down the days to Christmas. Coming up real soon. What is today? I I have no idea. Uh, But uh, it's only about a week and a half or maybe two weeks away from Christmas. And, uh, you know, we we think about those gifts. We talked about this last week on that uh, unspeakable gift that we preached about. And this, this message is sort of related. This is a Christmas type of message. But, you know, this time of year we hear things such as, you know, Jesus is the reason for the season. You know, and that sounds like a great thing. And it is. And the truth is behind that. He is the reason for this season. Uh, and while it is true, I wonder sometimes if it's not just become another one of those Christian cliches. You know, another one of those things that you just say to sound good. And then you don't really abide by it. There's a lot of things like that. I mean, do we really mean it when we say it? Because it seems these days that Christmas is all about everything but Jesus. I mean, it's about the gifts and it's about the, the, the get-togethers and, and uh, everything like that. Time off from work and those things we get all wrapped up into. And For kids, it's usually toys and gifts and Santa Claus and reindeer and all that, that kind of thing. Uh, for adults, you know, it, it can be about parties or money or spending. We get all wrapped up in all that. And for others, it may be, you know, all about entertainment and traveling and uh, all that that type of thing. And so our focus kind of gets off of the reason for the season, which is Christ, uh, the birth of Christ. And uh, so it's, it's really easy to get absorbed in all the hoopla of this time of year. Gifts has always played a major role in the Christmas season. You know, there's there's no mistake about that. I remember hearing stories from my parents about when they would grow up, and even my wife talking about just getting one or two things on Christmas. And usually my parents were talking about they would get an apple and an orange or something like that. Uh, and, you know, as when I was growing up, I got all kinds of toys, uh, uh, store-bought toys and so times have changed now that our kids you know our kids uh, we were buying for them when they were little uh, all the toys that were popular at the time and and nowadays they're getting these you know high end gadgets and everything like that that they get and we think about a, a lot of those things but are these gifts really things that's going to change our lives have you ever got received a gift at christmas time that actually changed your life forever eternal life? Have you gotten anything like that for Christmas? I doubt it. If you go to the department stores on the day after Christmas, you'll find long lines of people waiting to exchange their gifts. They want either they want the money for it or they want to change it for something else. Why? Because they didn't like it, didn't fit, whatever, but it didn't change their life. It didn't change their eternal destiny. But over 2,000 years ago, there was a gift sent to all the world, And for everyone, whosoever the Bible says this gift was given to. And it's the greatest gift that ever was or ever will be given to anyone. Now, I don't know if you've ever received this special gift, this free gift, this eternal life gift or not. But I I pray today that as we look at this message that you'll understand the reason for the season, but the reason for eternal life and and the, the gift that allows that. In our opening text here, we're dealing with a scene between Jesus and a Pharisee, Nicodemus. He comes to Jesus, the Bible says, in the middle of the night. Uh, It doesn't tell us why he came at that hour. Probably because he was probably not wanting to be seen by other people going into this Jesus' tent or home or wherever Jesus was staying at the time. Jesus didn't have his own house. Uh, So wherever Jesus was staying, Nicodemus come creeping along in the night. Probably to not be seen by his fellow Jews, his fellow Pharisees. He was a religious leader, a ruler, the Bible calls him, uh, there of the Jews. So he probably had some high position in the, in the synagogue. He would have been a extremely intelligent man, very smart. He would have known the law, the Jewish laws and, and customs. And so he comes to Jesus because he has a question about his eternity. That's what it boils down to. He's got a great question for Jesus about eternal life. Now, he doesn't just come out and and say that in in those those few words, but he comes to him seeking this knowledge, and he understands. he's, He's been seeing Jesus heal people and teach and preach. And so, no doubt, Nicodemus was coming around. He was a believer. I believe God was drawing him to Jesus, and this is the reason he came to him. But he has these questions about eternal life. Little did he know at that time that, His questions and the answer that that Jesus would give him would go on to become, as I said at the beginning, the most famous Bible verse in all the world. I've said this several times, but growing up, you would see John 3.16 posted in storefronts, in windows, on countertops in stores, uh, signs uh, going through town. You'd see it on signs, uh, bumper stickers. You saw it everywhere, John 3.16. And nowadays, there's people that don't even know what that means. You can say John three sixteen, and they're like, "What's that? what's that?" Yeah, uh, some football players would sometimes put the black stuff in, and put John three sixteen in their their eye dark stuff, and and um, maybe say things about it on on uh, on the television during being interviews, and and uh, they say when that happens, there's a, a big uptick in searches on John three sixteen whenever it's mentioned. In public like that, because people don't understand it. They don't know what it is nowadays. But it would become uh the greatest Bible verse, probably in all the world, uh, as what Jesus replies to him. Now, I want to look at seven things in this one verse uh that shows us that this gift, this eternal life gift of God's only begotten Son is the greatest gift that ever was and ever will be. And I've titled the message today, He Gave His Only Begotten. He gave his only begotten. So the first thing we see in this verse, we're going to break it down as we go into phrases, is that first part, for God so loved the world. Now this love, of course, speaking of God's wonderful love. A lot of people, that's all they want to talk about, God's love. And it is something you could talk about forever. It is eternal. It's everlasting. But by mentioning his love for the world, he's including every single person that's ever been born. Ever has been, is now, or will be. That's who God's love goes out to everyone. There's not one person that God says, "I don't, I don't include you in this." So it didn't say that God so loved the church, even though He does dearly. Uh, Jesus died for the church. It doesn't say for God so loved the pastor, or that God so loved the deacons, or God so loved the singers, or God so loved you know only this person or that person no it's God so loved the world so nobody's left out nobody's out from under the love of God It encompasses all now if you're saved at this very moment that should thrill you to hear because whether you want to admit it or not you used to be part of the world now once you're saved you're not to be part of the world we are in the world but we're not of the world Uh, We belong to the Lord. We have another home awaiting us in heaven. We're strangers and pilgrims here now just waiting for that that uh, place that we have that uh, the Lord has prepared for us in heaven. And so we were part of this world. We were hell-bound sinners. And it's because God so loved the world that he included us in his plan of salvation. And we were able to believe in Jesus. And he reached down. And by his mercy and his grace, he saved us back in 1972 by his mercy and his grace when i was 6 years old he came through elm street baptist church and he saved me i wasn't looking to be saved but he came looking for me and so god so loved the world everyone don't don't let the calvinists make you think it's only for the elect or for only those few people that's been chosen though god so loved the world whosoever can come to him and it says he he god so loved the world that he gave did you know what to say? He gave. It didn't say that he bargained. It didn't say that he he um, um, you know sold. It didn't say God sold his only begotten son. No, it says he gave. This was a gift. Uh, uh, another one of the wonderful attributes of God, besides being uh, a God of love, is he's a God of giving. I said last week that that's one of the, the uh, titles that we rarely use when we're talking about the Lord is the giver. And that's what he is. He's the giver. Christmas is usually considered a time of giving, but it's also a time of receiving. To be able to take a gift, you must receive it. You must be willing to take it. If somebody gives you a gift and you say, no, I don't want it, and you lay it down you walk off, it's not your gift. But if somebody gives it to you and you say, yeah, I appreciate that, you take it and put it in your possession, that's your gift. They can't come back and say, wait a minute, I'm taking that back. That's not how it works. A gift means it's free. You know, a lot of times you see these advertisements on TV and they'll say something about this, this is a free, 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 but down in the bottom you've got these little, this big, you know, little bitty words that you can't even read from the couch. And it tells you all the little fine print, well, it's not really free. You know, the Democrats up in Washington make you believe that everything can be free, but it can't, somebody's got to pay for it. It's me working every day and I've got to pay taxes. And so my taxes go to pay for all these so-called free programs. But this gift that God gave, it is totally free. There is nothing that we must give. There's nothing we must work for. There's nothing that we've got to do except for only believe. And that's not a work. Some people say, well, if you have to believe, that's a work. No, it's not. It's a change of heart. It's not a work. It's a, it's a belief. Are you telling me that you're working so hard because you believe something? No, you're not working. It's not, not a work. It's, it's free. Uh, but, I love to see how around this time of year, a lot of people start giving. Uh, they start giving of their time. Uh, some people are more generous with their giving. Uh, you may see the, the people standing there ringing the bell with a little red pot, you know. And, uh, you see people reaching in their pockets and giving. Uh, and so it is a wonderful time this time of year. People give to the poor, the needy, the hungry, the homeless, and all that's great. But what about the rest of the time of the year? Is it only at Christmas time that we start having a generous heart, that we start all, all of a sudden loving our fellow man, or do we not do that all year? You see, this gift that God gave, it says that he gave, it's for all the time. It's not for just one little time in period in, in history. It wasn't just that time that Jesus hung on the cross that that one blip in history is the only time that this gift was valid. No, this gift was an eternal gift. And so it, it lasts all year long and all, all eternity long. And so why do you think our charity only kicks in at Christmas? <laughs> you know, God gave because he loved. That's why. Well, naturally, the reason our generosity doesn't go on all years is because we don't really love people the way that we should. Or even that we claim that we do. Uh, and so this love that God has should also be our motivation to love people. You know, I know the Bible says, uh, love not the world, neither things are in the world and all that. But it's not talking about loving the people in the world. It's talking about the 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 greediness, the, the, the gain, the the things that take your mind and focus off of Christ. Don't love all this world system. Love the people in the world, though. And so we should have this same love toward people. That should be at our motivation, not to be seen by men or to be known by our giving. And there's so many people today that, you know, they boast and brag every time they do something for somebody. They've got to do a selfie of it, you know. You see a, somebody on the sidewalk that's hungry and homeless. And you'll, you know, people now are going like this. Feeding the hungry, you know. Putting out their, taking their selfie. Feeding the hungry, you know. And then they get all the likes and stuff on social media. But that's not how it's supposed to be. That's not true love for someone. That's wanting to be seen by men. And so God gave. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave. He gave. The third thing, it goes on to say, his only begotten son. That's where we took the title of our message today, his only begotten. So not only did God love us, not only did he give us, give to us, but he also gave us his only begotten, his only begotten son. That phrase, only begotten, means the one and only. Now, God has many children. We know that. If you're saved today, you're one of his children. But he only has one son, one only begotten son, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And while uh, John is the only gospel writer that refers to Jesus in that same manner, I believe once in Hebrews, he's uh, talking about an only begotten, and I believe it, it speaks about Abraham giving up uh, um, his son, his only begotten. But John, the gospel writer, is the only one that referring to Christ as the only begotten son. Uh, it's here in our opening text in John 3, 16. But he also mentions it um, four or five other times. I believe five more times. John 1 and 14, he writes in the word was made flesh and dwelled among us and we beheld his glory the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And then a few verses down from that in John 1 and 18, he writes, No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he he's declared him. And then here in our this chapter we're in now, John three sixteen. if you look down in verse 18, the Bible says, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. Because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. And then finally in 1 John, the same writer, John 4, 9, the Bible says, "In this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. So when God gave us his only begotten son, he gave us his very best. He gave us his all. He didn't hold back. He didn't give us second best. He didn't give us leftovers. You know, sometimes uh, leftovers are good, sometimes. I'm not a fan of them, but uh, sometimes we're forced to have them. Now, there's a few things, leftover, that seem to get better after the leftover. Some things, it's got a lot of spice in them. Sometimes that spice gets absorbed in there real good. And the next thing you say, you know, I believe that's better today than it was yesterday when we had it. But most of the time, I'm not a fan of leftovers. Leftover mashed potatoes, they are disgusting. Hamburgers left over, unless you grill them again or put them on the stove and fry them again, they're disgusting. I don't like leftover food most of the time. I'm glad God didn't give us some leftover. No, he gave us his only begotten son, his best. And it didn't cost us anything. It cost him everything. You know? Salvation is free to us, but it didn't come free. It came with a cost. And Jesus paid it. Uh... It doesn't cost us, and we won't miss uh, if, we, if we can't g- give it away to somebody else. But what about giving away something that will hurt you by giving? You see, God gave us things. We don't ever give things that hurt us. You know, if this is going to take out of my pocket, if it's going to make make me hungry, if I'm going to take a loss and get, because I'm giving to this person, I won't do that. But if I've got enough and I've got some left over, I'll give it to this person. That's not how God operates. He gave us everything. And so he gave us his only begotten Son. God's gift wasn't an afterthought; it's always been in His mind. Ever since man was created, God had it in His mind. Before the the world was formed, God already had it in His mind what He was going to do. It wasn't a bargain basement discount. He rushed out and, you know, looked around for something and said, "You yeah, know, this will do." You know, sometimes you do that. Uh, maybe you forgot that you're supposed to take a gift somewhere. And you're like, oh, no, we got to get something. And you go to some place that's cheap, you know, or some one of those clearance aisles or something, and just grab the first thing that that you think is okay because it's cheap. That's not what God did. God gave his very best. He gave us the most exquisite, the most expensive gift that you can imagine. He gave his only begotten son. How many people today are going to do that? I'm not going to give you my only begotten son. I've got one son, and I'm not giving him to anybody. I would not give him for the world. Oh, well, you're a pastor. Okay, well, are you a Christian? Are you going to give up your only begotten? No, you're not going to. Only God did that. Can you imagine giving your only begotten son to die for this no good, rotten, filthy, stinking world that we live in? Why, no, we're not going to do it. That's why when God, what he did for us, he gave us this free gift. He gave us a gift that is unimaginable. Unspeakable, Like we talked about last week, it's unspeakable because we can't even put into words or thoughts exactly how great that gift is. But look, that's in 2 Corinthians 9, 15. It says, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. And that's what his gift is like. It's so wonderful we can't describe it. It's beyond our human words or comprehension. The fourth thing we find in this verse is for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The next part is that whosoever. Now we've already mentioned this at the beginning. Whosoever. Not only did God love us so much that he gave his only begotten son, but he gave us this to whosoever. Anybody. It's open to anybody. Not just the Jews. The Jews would have you believe otherwise. They, they believe that, that only those that are, are Jewish descent and those that kept the law and customs uh, have any access to God. But God gave access to everyone, not just the rich. What if only rich people could be saved? Well, that'd be a terrible thing because most of the people I know would never be saved. <laughs> I don't know very many rich people at all. Uh, he didn't give to kings or princes. You know, a lot of people, that want to impress or, or try to uh, make the world know their generosity. And so they'll give to someone that has a lot of eyes on them, you know, Uh Someone powerful, someone that's in a high position, and so look at what I did for this guy. You know, he didn't just give to the elect, and despite the Calvinists, like I said, he didn't just give this to the Calvinist. They'll make you believe that, and believe it or not, it wasn't just for the Baptists. I'm Baptist to the bone, but I'll tell you what, uh, it wasn't just for us. It's for everyone that'll believe in the, in the only begotten. Gave to whosoever. That means anyone and everyone can receive the free gift of God. He didn't put any restrictions on it, stipulations, or gotchas, but it's for whosoever. That fifth thing there we find in that verse Whosoever believeth in Him. Make sure you understand that. Believeth in Him. Not just believe. A lot of people believe a lot of things, but they believe a lot of things that are not true. You must believe in Him. And so it doesn't say whosoever believeth in themselves or whoever believeth in works or whoever believeth in money or whoever believeth in religion, but it's whoever believeth in him, the only begotten son. The Bible says this over in Acts chapter 4, verses 10 through 12. Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel That by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which is become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Talking about the Lord Jesus. And that's, that's what the Bible says. There's no other name under heaven given by men except for this one that we can be saved, Jesus Christ. Nobody else. The majority of the people in the world actually believe that as long as you live a good life and do do good works, uh, treat people fairly, that you're going to go to heaven. That's the, the majority of people think that. Uh, there's many false teachers and false religions today. That teach that there's other ways to be saved besides Jesus. Uh, they believe that you can you can do do things, uh, go through routines or rituals or customs or, or or whatever it is, and be saved that way. And that you don't have to have Jesus. Judaism teaches that you must belong to the nation of Israel. You must keep the laws and the customs. And if you're not part of that, then there's no way you can be saved. Islam teaches you must consistently live and work those five pillars of Islam, which is fasting, pilgrimage, giving alms, prayer five times a day, and confessing that Muhammad is the true prophet. Or you could commit jihad and assure your salvation. If if you don't do any of these things, you can't be saved, according to Islam. Uh, Hinduism, it teaches you must purge yourself of evil and become pure enough to merge with their god Brahma. Can you imagine that? (laughs) Uh, Buddhism, it teaches you must meditate and place yourself in a state of nirvana and be absorbed into the greater being. And that's their their thoughts of salvation. They don't believe in in the same God that we believe in. They don't believe in the heaven that we believe in. And so all these false religions, they teach either a works-based salvation or a self-based. Everything is is about you, what you've done, not about what their God's done. None of these people in these false religions, it's ever about what their God has done. It's what they've done, except Christianity. Christianity teaches that it's all about God. God does it all. God plans the salvation. God gives the access to salvation. And all we simply do is believe and, and we can be saved. Believe in the word of God. That's what the Bible teaches. Simply believe, that's what it says, and believeth in him, whosoever believeth in him. And so John 14 and 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus himself tells us that. He says, I am the door, I'm the way. There's no other way. 1 Timothy 2, chapter or verses 3 through 6, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come under the knowledge of the truth verse 5 for there is one god and one mediator between god and men the man Christ Jesus who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time so it's only Jesus only by believing in him Jesus that you can be saved no other way so god so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him in him which leads us to the next part of the verse. Should not perish. Now I don't mean, well, you shouldn't perish. Now, that's not what that means. It means you won't. You shall not perish. You know, it's, it's uh, said there's two things in life that are inevitable. And that's death and taxes. That's, that's what they say. Uh, I don't know about the taxes part. It's possible that maybe you could live somewhere where it's tax free. Uh, we have tax free weekends in August here in Tennessee. Uh, but as far as death is concerned, there is no getting around that it's appointed unto men once to die. And after this is judgment. And so you're going to see death unless the Lord comes before you die, you're going to see death. And, uh, that's a terrible thing to think about, but the Bible is very clear that there is life after death and there's life in one of two places. You're either going to heaven or you're going to hell. If you believed in the only begotten son of God, Jesus Christ, you can go to heaven But if you don't believe, you will go to hell. That's simple as that. And so if you've been saved, you can say with Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, 8, we're confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. But if you're not saved, then you're going to go to hell and you'll be like that rich man in in Luke chapter 16 who opened his eyes in hell and, uh, and torments. And so there's no getting around that. That word perish right there, should not perish. That means to be given over to eternal punishment and misery in hell. That's what that means. To be lost, ruined, or destroyed is another, another definition of it. And listen, the opposite of perishing is living. When the Bible talks about someone perishing, it's someone that's, that's uh, uh, lost. It talks about living, not perishing. That's talking about the saved. The seventh and final thing that we find in this first, this last part, but have everlasting life. So, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever belief in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So, the opposite of, of perish is life. So, you should not perish. That means die, be punished, go to hell, pay for your sins, but you'll have everlasting life. That means you're going to go to heaven, you're going to live forever, eternal. And we've already proved that God gave his love. He gave his only begotten son. He gave to whosoever. He gave to those that believe in him. And here we see he gives everlasting life. You could say eternal life in that, in place of that life everlasting. Uh, the gift of Jesus is a one time gift, by the way. It's not several times. I heard somebody one time say, well, I got saved for the, for the first time. Well, I've only been saved for the first time too, and it's the last time, but they were talking about, there's a second time they'll have to be saved or a third time or the next time they sin, the next time they do something, they'll have to be saved again. There's some uh, places that people that believe that. Uh, what a sad thing to think about. Uh, somebody thinks that they have such a low view of Jesus that they can't uh, say that Jesus is powerful enough to keep somebody saved. You mean to tell me he's powerful enough to save me the first time uh By believing in him, that's all i got to do is believe in him, repent of my sins, he saves me. But you're telling me that if I sin after that, he's not powerful enough to keep my salvation? Because that's what I'm hearing. When somebody tells me you can lose your salvation for sinning, what I'm hearing is they don't believe that Jesus is powerful enough, that his blood was powerful enough to keep somebody saved. Listen, it is. It was and it is powerful enough to keep somebody saved. If you lost your salvation every time you sinned, you'd you'd be lost every day. You would have to get saved over and over and over every single day. But that is not how it works. This gift Jesus gave us, you know, it's good enough to keep you saved for eternity. Uh, That's his his power. And if, if he can't, then he don't have the power that he claims he does. If you can lose your salvation, then all the promises that God's made in the Bible are lies. So, God's gift of Jesus assures everlasting life. Quickly, if you look over the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. And of course, this is always where you, you read the Christmas story, and we'll be reading it at, at Christmas time. Uh, we like to do that. We read the Christmas story. Luke chapter 2, verse 8 says, And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. So verse 10 again tells us there that the gift of Jesus is to all people. In other words, whosoever. And so this great gift that God gave us of his only begotten Son is a gift of everlasting life now while we take time to you know look into all the different colored bows and wrapping my wife's great at that and she'll tell you this past week i was wrapping presents and i was about as mad as a person can get i i can't wrap a present i use packing tape and uh, i made an awful mess but she's good at it i mean it looks like something professional But we take all this time looking at the wrapping paper, the bows, the ribbons, the cards. You know, we sent off a whole bunch of Christmas cards this past weekend. Uh, We've received some in here. We've got them hanging up, and we love those things. But uh, listen, uh, God simply wrapped himself up in flesh and became a man and gave us the free gift of salvation, the free gift of his son. And so, you know... Did we deserve this gift? No. A lot of people don't deserve the gifts they get. Yeah, I can honestly say when I was a kid, I didn't deserve all those gifts my parents gave me. I mean, I was, a, I was a mean little kid. I didn't deserve any of those gifts, but they gave them to me because they loved me. We don't deserve the gift of Christ, but God gives him to us because he loves us. If he didn't love us, he would withhold his only begotten son. Wouldn't have had to do all that. We give our gifts to children, even though they've been rotten or mean, you know, despite that. But we don't give it to them because they deserve it. We give it to them because we love them. We want to please them. We want to make them happy. God didn't give us the gift of eternal life because we deserved it. In fact, he gave it to us for the very opposite reason. Because we didn't deserve it. And because we didn't deserve it and there's no way that we could save ourselves, God had mercy on us. And through his great love, he sent us Jesus, his only begotten. So that we could be saved, he loves us, and that's why he gave. Finally, Romans 6:23 says, "For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord." Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for these seven things, God, that you've given us out of this one verse of Scripture, God, that that means so much to us, Lord. This verse is, has, has really shaped our lives, Lord. I remember hearing it when I was just a little boy, memorizing it, God. And what a great message it is, especially here at this Christmas season, Lord, that we can tell the whole world how much you love them. Lord, and what you did, that great gift that you gave of your only begotten son, help us, Father, be able to reach those that are lost. God, help us during this Christmas time, Lord, those that are struggling, those that just had their homes destroyed,